Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and today I'm talking with Don Woods, who is an assistant professor of elementary math education at Oakland University in the Teacher Development and Educational Studies Department in the School of Education and Human Services. And with Annie Wilhelm, who is an associate professor in the Department of Teaching and Learning in the Simmons School of Education and Human Development at Southern Methodist University. We will be discussing the article, Learning to Launch Complex Tasks, How Instructional Visions Influence the Exploration of the Practice, published in the June 2020 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they shared in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their other work. Don and Annie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting us. So can you just start us off with quickly describing the innovation? So in this study, we investigated how the exploration phase of the teacher learning cycle really works to support novice teachers to learn how to set up or to launch a complex task in a way that really helps their students to engage in the task and to learn the math. First thing you said is the teacher learning cycle. Is that right? Yes. Could you describe what that is? Yes. The teacher learning cycle is really a way that guides the development of novice teachers by introducing them to the high leverage practices through units of exploration. Then we work to prepare them to enact those practices, and that could be um, requiring them or having them um, rehearse them and then enacting them within the classroom. And then finally giving them an opportunity to reflect on the enactment after they have gone through that process. So it's exploring it, trying it out in the safety of the teacher education group, like rehearsing or something, implementing it, and then reflecting. Yes. Is that right? And then you said that your innovation takes place in the exploring part of this. So we really focused for the purpose of this paper just on that one small piece to see what kinds of things the teachers were thinking about as they were learning about the high leverage practice. Awesome. I think I understand now where that's situated. So it's, it's right at the very beginning of the cycle. Yes. Okay. So can you give us a brief summary of what you said in the paper? And the idea here is to, we're going to go into all of the pieces more in depth later, but let's just quickly summarize. We looked at how 11 first-year in-service teachers, so they were taking coursework at the same time as they were learning how to teach and teaching in the classroom, how they took up the idea of launching complex tasks, and again, in the exploration phase of the learning cycle, the first phase. One thing that we found that was pretty interesting was how critical it was to consider their instructional visions when thinking about how they took up and interpreted aspects of launching complex tasks. I don't know if you want now a quick preview, but in particular, teachers who had more traditional instructional visions tended to view the notion of launching complex tasks unproblematically, yet somewhat superficially. And on the other hand, teachers with more reform-oriented instructional visions tended to note congruence with their vision. So like, oh, yeah, I do this. And they also highlighted challenges that they might face in implementation. 
So from our perspective, the use of the teacher learning cycle enabled those novice teachers to explore, reflect on, and interpret through the lens of their instructional vision the fit of the focal practices with their instructional practice. And so there's two pieces that you mentioned that I think would be worthwhile to explore a little bit. Instructional vision, if you can give us just a tiny brief summary, and complex tasks. Sure. So instructional vision, we're borrowing from the work of Hammerness and also more recently Chuck Munter in his work on teachers' visions of high-quality math instruction. And using that as a way to think about the way teacher, what teachers are aiming for instructionally. So not necessarily what they currently do in their practice, but what they perceive to be the goal or what they're striving to do in their classroom. And then the other one was launching complex tasks. And that draws on the work of Kara Jackson and and her colleagues, including myself. And we found that launching complex tasks the ways in which teachers launched complex tasks, meaning they set up the tasks so that teachers could, so that students could engage with the mathematics and the context of tasks when appropriate in meaningful ways. They it seem to be related to different types of discussions following work on the task. So we're borrow, we borrowed from that work to think about to both in the instructional design and in our analysis. So in just a few words, what is a complex task? I'll take a stab and then Dawn, you can add on if you want. I would say it is a challenging, cognitively demanding task in that that's the way that we, we have been taking it on. So if it is something rigorous that requires students to think a little bit more conceptually in a mathematics classroom. That wasn't just a few words though, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Right, but I also think it has an entry point that gives, it has a low enough entry point where all students have access to the task. So they can answer it conceptually in many ways. And then you can just really build and layer on the mathematics learning from there. All right. Thank you so much. Who should read this article? Math teacher educators, maybe even instructional coaches and or teacher mentors who are supporting novice teachers to take a high leverage practices may be interested in the article. And this, I'm assuming, is a K-16 applicable article? Or is there grade level bands that you were targeting? I think it works across the grade bands in that it's really more of a pedagogical piece. So a lot of it is thinking about instructional design rather than necessarily any one like content area or great age of kids that you might be working with. Okay, so now let's dig a little deeper. We got kind of an overview of what you did and who should read it. So now we get to take a little bit of time to dig into this. What is the important problem or issue that your article addresses? The important problem or issue that it's addressing is the shared math teacher and how to support novice teachers to take up the high leverage practices. So um, one of our solutions for this was to draw on the teacher learning cycle in ways that guide teachers to integrate student thinking, content knowledge, and equity. That's a lot of stuff. I'm just, I took a minute there to think. So you said student thinking, content knowledge, and equity. Okay. So how do we build 
or how do you build on existing work in the field, particular in particular? And you mentioned that a little bit already, but I was wondering if we could go a little bit more in depth, like when you talk about the instructional visions, could you tell us what those might be and how they might align with things? Building really on Chuck Munter's work, we were looking at what the their visions of high quality mathematics instruction were. So before we even began working with the teacher learning cycle, we had an opportunity to have them, you know, tell us about how they saw their instructional practices. What kinds of things, how did they see the math talk within their classrooms? How did they design tasks and other qualities that really help understand you know, where they were coming from or where they are wanting to go within their mathematics classroom. I was going to sort of characterize a difference in how we used it compared to how Chuck and others initially used it. So originally, Chuck Munter's measure uses an interview protocol where you would ask teachers, if you were asked to observe another math teacher's classroom, what would you look for to determine if the instruction was high quality? And We instead used a written protocol that instead of asking about observing another teacher's classroom, we asked if you had to describe high quality math instruction to someone who's not in education, how would you describe it? And then we add, there were some sub questions that included things about what types of tasks or problems you would use or what's the role of the teacher in the classroom. And that's pretty parallel to how Chuck has used it, but we, in this case, we used a written prompt instead of an interview protocol, which might be worth noting. And your focus in the paper was on figuring out whether they were looking at a delivery versus other kinds of instruction? In the instructional vision rubrics, there are essentially five levels, and they range from at the bottom describing the like sort of at the most detailed level as really just the teacher being a motivator at the second level, the deliverer of knowledge, which is what we would consider sort of a pretty traditional model. And then at the top end, really somebody who acts as a facilitator or a sort of a more knowledgeable other, but as in a sort of a a more sharing the authority in the classroom. So that was, yeah, one dimension, the, the role of the teacher that we really focused on. Okay, yet I remember that from reading the article that you used that to kind of match other things. What else were you paying attention to in this area? In the area of instructional vision? Yes. We also looked at the types of tasks specifically and looked to see if they talked about the launch to see if they might say that there were specific things that a teacher should do to launch. But this was ahead of them hearing about the, or, you know, participating in the exploration phase. And so we didn't they, we didn't end up hearing anything about what would characterize or what's important to attend to within the launch. So if I'm trying to summarize what theories you drew on, it's one was this instructional vision, and then the other one was the teacher education preparation cycle. Was there anything else you were drawing on? Is that a pretty good summary of what you do? I'm, I'm trying to see if Dawn's going to chime in. It's hard without video. <laughs> the other one is the work from Kara Jackson and launching complex tasks. Right. So we mentioned okay. that earlier, but that was pretty central to the design. And even there were artifacts that we use that were directly from that work, that work central. Okay. So if we go back to what is the problem you were addressing, then 
one would say the problem you're addressing is how to launch complex tasks. Now let's talk a little bit about how this innovation that you created helps address that problem. So describe the innovation and then tell us how it addresses the problem. So the innovation was really in designing the coursework around the high leverage practice, so around the launch, then use the coursework time or the time that we were in class, the teachers were, the novice teachers could like workshop how to launch the task during their coursework activities. And they had the support of their peers and myself within our community of practice. So during that explore phase, they came in having thought about this article some. So we were able to take it a little bit deeper and really think about how could they use this tool? How can they launch a task to really support the context and the content of their work with students? So you referred to an article that they read. What article is that? That was the, the work by Kara Jackson. It was launching complex tasks. It was in, I think, Mathematics teacher, not mathematics teacher, educator. It was in a middle school one, right? Yes, the middle school one. Yes. So they read that article and that there's one task that's described in there, right? Can you describe that task really quickly so we can get a vision for what that looked like? So it involves a teacher whose pseudonym is Mr. Smith. And the task itself was a, a task that he created called Dollars for Dancing, involved a dance marathon, and students were asked to think about different ways that they would raise, like that several other students within the task were proposing different ways to raise money. And within the task, students in the math classroom were asked to consider how those different ways of raising money would work. And some of the big ideas were around a pledge, which was sort of a one-time gift versus something that accumulated for each hour of dancing. And and so it was all related to ideas of linear equations with sort of non-zero y-intercepts. So that's the task, you guys. So they read this article and they read about this task. And then what happened in your classroom? So within the classroom, we watched Mr. Smith. We had a video of him actually launching this task. So we were able to go through and we watched the video kind of as a whole. And then we went back through and discussed the different parts, looking for opportunity or looking for when he did something that really supported students' access to the task. So you, as a class, analyzed this teacher's launch of a task? Yes. Okay. And I think in the appendix of the article, there is a whole like layout of how this lesson could be implemented in teacher education, correct? Yes. And there's also a QR code that will take them to the video of Mr. Smith and his launch of this task. So people who download the article will also have access to this other article and the video and all those. This is kind of an example, right? Where you looked at a teacher and you discussed launching the task with your students in your classroom. Then what was the next step? 
outside the purpose of this article, but for the innovation, they had opportunities to think about what they were going to be teaching in the future. So they had thought about a task that they were wanting to teach. And then we looked to see how it could be launched. So they had some time to workshop it. Some of them taught the same grade, so they, they worked on this together. How could they actually take this task that they were planning to do and how could they launch it? So it made sense to the students and gave the students the access to the task to be successful. Let's come back to the motivation. What made you guys want to create this launching complex tasks innovation? Well, the teachers that we were working with were alternatively certified teachers. And so they were still really learning about instructional design and pedagogy that really supported the development of mathematical sense-making. So we felt that we could really connect our coursework to the work that they were doing in schools so that they would have the opportunity to really make those connections from theory to practice in ways that were meaningful for them and their students. So it was very practice-based and teacher-oriented. What Research questions did you study to figure out whether this innovation worked or not? And what did you find? So the research question that we studied, there were two. How does the exploration phase of the teacher learning cycle provide opportunities for novice teachers to reflect on launching complex tasks? And how is this reflection related to their instructional vision? And then specifically, what insights and challenges arise as teachers' instructional visions filter their learning. And what did we find? Well, one of the things that sort of piggybacks on what Dawn was saying earlier is that we were really interested in understanding how the instructional design supported their learning. And in a perfect world, we would have collected video data and been able to triangulate that because that's one really amazing affordance of working with in-service teachers is that they have, they can take it directly into their classrooms but the research office at the district level would not allow us to collect that data for research purposes. So we were limited there. And so that's why we drew on their instructional visions and their reflections to try to unpack a little bit more about what they were taking up. I'll let Dawn tell you a little bit more about what we actually found. So what we actually found was that really a lot depends on their instructional vision. So if they if, our, if the teachers were more used to a teacher-directed type of classroom and focused there, they were like, oh, I can do this, and I can do this, or I can do that, but it was very superficial. So they were trying these things, and it wasn't really that they, they didn't learn about launching a task. They just connected to where they were at in their practice at that moment. So there were still some like things that they took up from it, but it may not have been as ambitious way as if their instructional visions were at the other end of the scale. So if they had that more reform-oriented view of the classroom, they were like, oh, I am doing these things. So they had this like validation moment. They're like, I am trying to implement this practice this way, but they also were able to see that they had some challenges and some other things that they had to negotiate in order for these practices to be successful with students. A takeaway could potentially be that we really need to pay attention to their instructional vision. Right. And I think there was, because they have such variation in these visions, 
it even speaks to how in teacher education, it's not, we can't just have a one size fit all innovation or professional development or anything like that. We need to really think about these broader issues of supporting teachers to realize that mathematics is a place where all students can find success when they have these opportunities to enter, let's say, complex tasks at their own level of understanding. So it's really thinking about how we can find these opportunities for our pre-service or in-service teachers to, I don't know if it's challenge or to really go deeper about what their visions are and what does that mean for working with the students within their context. I'm going to add one thing onto that too, which I think is, I spent a lot of time thinking about the sort of the implications of this. It doesn't mean that only certain teachers who have certain instructional visions are ready to learn certain things. I don't think it means that, or I don't think, but I think, because I think what we saw just scratching the surface is that all of these teachers sort of were able to make small or great or larger shifts in sort of the ways they were thinking about instruction just in this one tiny exploration piece. But it might be that the teachers who started with more traditional instructional visions might need more, more, more opportunities to think about it and reflect on it than other teachers who, or might need other supplementary experiences to really help them wrestle and grapple like maybe they need more videos to give them concrete opportunities to take it up I don't think we have the answer but I think we definitely aren't trying to say that it's like only certain teachers are ready to do certain things it's just it's it seems to by adding this piece of information about teachers instructional visions it gives you a slightly more complete picture of how you might support those teachers or not how but where these teachers are coming from instructionally. Yeah, that makes sense. And that you, if you knew something about their instructional vision, that could inform potentially what kinds of experiences you want to present. Exactly. All right. So let's um, wrap up slowly and just summarize what is the contribution of this particular paper to the math teacher education community? So one critical finding is just really that importance of attending to novice teachers' instructional visions in the design of mathematics teacher learning. Since there was so much variation in their instructional visions, it may be necessary to address some broader issues so that we can help them find success in their teaching and learning of mathematics. And really, this is why the learning to launch a task is so important. It really helps to support teachers in eliciting student understanding and then responding in the moment to the needs of the students by clarifying the content and the context of the mathematical task. There were also two other big takeaways that were sort of, again, more on the pedagogical side of things. One of those was how important these opportunities for reflection were within the context of the exploration phase, sort of this sort of the juxtaposing of the actual like digging in and new information with sort of reflecting and thinking about how that fits with it, what they already know or have experienced. And then, and both in individual settings and in a whole group setting. And then also our hypothesis is that if we could have, if we could have engaged in multiple cycles of the enactment and investigation around this one particular practice, we could, it, it would have been even more influential. So that would be another takeaway is we think it's pretty important to do these 
oh, like the iteration is a really important feature of the design. Sounds like you have a follow-up study right there. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> so yeah. I just pulled up the paper just a quick look. In your appendix, you have description of the instructional visions, and then you have the launching a complex task lesson plan. So if anybody is interested in trying out what you guys did, then all the pieces are there, and there's also that QR code. One piece of advice you want to give people who are like me and want to go ahead and try this out in their own classroom? I think over the last few semesters as I've gone through and I have tried this, I have found out that I really need to have my, my teachers have a good idea of what task that they want to launch before they do this launching piece. So that task, that, that complex task has to be well-designed And then it's really easier to think about how they're going to launch it. So potentially it's easier to go with a well-established task at the beginning rather than trying to create your own? Yes. <laughs> Depending on the experience the teachers have had with, with tasks. Sure. I just want to chime in with the QR code again, because I think like also I'd encourage people to take that QR code, the stuff in the QR code, not the QR code itself, and do something else with it or like, I think there, what we need more of in our field is examples of practice that we can use with teachers in a teacher education setting. I think that there's a lot to be capitalized on in just having that do something different, like try it a different way. And maybe we can add to the field in terms of what we know about how to support teachers to learn new things or uh, incorporate new uh, practices in their existing practice. That's actually a really nice concluding comment because I agree that we need to know more and learn more from each other, which is exactly what the focus of the math teacher educator is. So let me wrap up by thanking both of you to take the time to talk with us and to take the time to do the study and write it up and publish it. For further information on this topic, you can find this article on the Math Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Eva Thanheiser. Thank you for listening and goodbye.